The Olympic Channel podcast is brought to you by Bridgestone, worldwide Olympic and Paralympic partner, a founding partner of the Olympic Channel. Olympic Channel podcast. My name is Ed Knowles and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. Alexi Papas is a runner who went to the Olympics in 2016 and ran the 10,000 metres, breaking the Greek national record on the way. She's also an actor and director and writer, and she's made two films, one called Track Town and the other called Olympic Dreams, which was the first fictional movie ever filmed in an Olympic village. She's also written a book now, which has just come out called Bravey. So, Alexi, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Your energy is, it's earlier where I am than when you, where you are, I believe. And now I'm like, I am awake. I'm awake. <laughs> Good. I, the book, I really enjoyed it. I haven't got quite to the end, but I skipped because I'm terrible at doing things like that. It's been a total tonic. The honesty that you've shown in it is really rare, I think. I mean... How did it all come about? Yeah, well, first of all, your 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 wanting to skip around is totally acceptable because it's written as a book of essays. So the the order was intentionally more of like an emotional arc than a narrative one, and that's because I also like books of essays and I like to be able to jump around. Although I think people have a different experience reading it all the way through. So the book came about around you know it started to be a brainchild around the 2016 Olympics, like just after that, um, I was working on the proposal for it. And I think, I think the reason why was because there's so, you know, there's only so much you can say on a social media post. And I think, you know, I recognized, right. And, and it is often this like fragmented view of, of a person and it can give the impression that someone has just arrived and that there wasn't like a whole journey there. And so I've always loved books and memoirs for that reason. And I felt like it was a good time, good timing, because it really did feel like the end of the beginning of my life. And it felt like those were the most formative years. And those were the years that if I shared them might be able to reach and like affect people in a way that I would have liked to have had access to when I was little, searching for mentors. You know, I lost my mom young and just really craved thing access to resources like this. I realized just before Christmas, or I didn't realize, I like panicked after speaking to snowboarder uh, Elena Height. Like, do I have a, a mentor? And anyway, I made a list and I think I do, but I just not like called them a mentor. Anyway, I was really interested in the book, like how you were constantly like looking for these kinds of people. No, I'm interested in your situation here with your mentors and not and and having only just decided that certain people in your life were. And I wonder if it's like this athletic instinct that like, I mean, you know, since a very young age, I called someone like a coach, right? And so perhaps like the mentor thing was just a similar like vocabulary muscle where um I mean I think I needed it because I needed to feel like I had guidance um but I also think that it's something that we can outgrow right we feel like we don't need it anymore once we're like quote unquote like grown up and that I think is where people are really missing out 
is if they think that there's ever a moment when we don't need or or we don't we aren't allowed to find mentors anymore it's like no we're always allowed and um you know they're everywhere like you said you wrote really well about um what happened after Rio 2016 where you were diagnosed with uh, clinical depression as well there was uh, some big switches that kind of went off in your head and you know I know it's different for everybody but what helped you the depression chapter of Bravey I tried to go in as much detail as possible because I felt like the more specific I got, the more it, you know, the more helpful it could be. And so I didn't, I really didn't understand that I was like sick um, for a long time because basically after the Olympics, you know, I took like a very small break, but I didn't really respect the like enormity of the, you know, adrenal fatigue that the Olympics naturally chasing any goal there's going to be like some some kind of decompression needed some time to like let your adrenals come back and I just wanted to chase the next goal and that caused you know in addition to a number of other shifts in my life there were some changes I moved I changed events I changed coaches there's a lot going on um it was too much and I didn't pause and the the my dad made me get help which was really life saving for me but what was really epiphanal was meeting my psychiatrist and having him tell me like quite quite simply that I was sick and that it was like having a scratch on my brain and for me I'd never heard it put that way and as an athlete and as a just a person I think we can recognize like we accept that if we fall down and we have a scratch on our knee or we break our leg that is an injury it can it is it will be injured for a little while, it can heal, we're allowed to share about it, we're allowed to get help, we can, we have to be patient, but it's normal. And I think I suddenly drew those parallels to like my brain. And I understood that I had this like scratch on my brain. And it was like this amazing life changing, like, moment, because I was like, okay, I got this scratch on my brain. I am getting help. It it can it can heal just like any other injury. It's going to take time and I'm going to begin the process. And it just felt a lot less like um like a cloud or like a, something that was my choice or something that I could change overnight. It felt like something just like an injury. Um and just simple as that. And I think that the community here might be athletically focused and that that might be the most helpful thing to understand is that you know and that that also the metaphor is like (laughs) endless like because if you think about once you're healthy you can also look out for warning signs like when I started to lose sleep that should have been a sign to stop or pause you know slow down that could be like when your body I don't know like your ankle starting to get locked up or you feel a little little soreness in your knee you're going to slow down you're not going to do the same thing if you're smart right and I think those those signs are very clear to me now and I have the tools to recognize them whereas before when I didn't recognize my brain as a body part I didn't think that I didn't draw those parallels and so that was like simply the most life-changing thing and I think it can help a lot of people um it certainly would have helped my mom you know because the, it seemed like she was trying to force her feelings to change. 
and she was being encouraged to do that by the medical help when really um, we can't force our feelings to change. We can only control our actions. And and had she understood, I think, her her brain as just an injured thing, she would have understood that, you know, the process could have looked differently, you know? And I think I'll pick up on another thing that you said there was that um, I constantly want everything to be perfect. I want everything in a line and then it'll do just right and everything will be fine. And I think that really resonated with, with me as well that, you know, especially on social media, I very rarely post because I want it to be perfect like not too perfect but like kind of you know and funny and serious and and then I end up doing nothing yeah yeah it's well it's interesting because I think like what we really need is like like a redirection of chasing perfectionism would be chasing trying our best I think and that is like really all that I hope for out of myself but that even can get really nuanced or complicated because then you're asking yourself like an integrity question of like, was that really me trying my best or was it not? And so I think like there's always going to be, um, I mean, I don't know where we're going with this, but it, it's it's funny to think about how even if you can like surrender chasing perfectionism, you're always going to have some sort of desire to like hit some standard for yourself, I think. And I've tried to make it more trying my best over time. Um, but even that, like I said, can be a little bit complicated um, until you get to the point, I think, where you trust that you're someone who is trying their best. And if you, I don't know, right? Like eventually you're like, no, I'm like pretty much that's like my default setting is I am trying my best, which maybe I don't know if everyone feels that way I don't I don't know is that how do you feel about yourself yeah I think that's how do you feel about yourself Ed? Uh, yeah I, I mean it complicate it's complicated but no I, I think that's true I think that the the it's almost noble in a way to be striving towards a goal be, to be striving to set yourself something that scares you and be aiming for it but then then you almost got to forget that and not being put off by the challenges on the way or kind of embracing the challenges on the way uh, without kind of getting too scared or just not starting, you know? Well, what you're getting at is that, like, need, the need to commit to a goal for a period of time, which, like, which I do talk about in the book, but I think that's, like, the most, the greatest and most important gift you give yourself if you're chasing any dream is to give yourself a, a reasonable but not forever period of time. And during that time, you're not checking in on the goal itself. And I think the the problems that I've seen with teammates who are chasing their dreams is when they pause in the middle of, I guess what I think about it as is like a crock pot soup or an incubator where you think about these eggs are going to hatch or that soup is being made. And those those teammates of mine or friends who pause at every obstacle and question the goal itself and I think what you're saying is okay like great to have goals and you know chase big things that's like a very noble and good thing but when you're in the process it's first of all not just about enjoying the process because we really need to get it done but it's understanding that we don't question the goal itself when we're in that like soup cooking 
time, which is going to be like bubbly and, and like, you know, sometimes rough waters, right? Are you still trying to aim for Tokyo 2020 to do the marathon then? Is that still the aim? Yeah, so it all has been very, you know, as you can imagine, you know, needing to take it month by month because of the the changing opportunities during COVID. So I had gone to Greece uh, in February of 2020 to train um, for a couple of weeks for what I hoped to be an Olympic qualifying race. And that race got canceled, which makes sense. And then every other race got canceled. And then the Olympics was postponed. And then um, I just, I took a moment to like, one, focus on finishing the book and two, work on some weaknesses of mine because the marathon is a different sport. It's a different event than the 10K, which I ran in Rio. Um, But my goal is still to run a marathon and hope to qualify. It's just really uncertain when those marathons will be safe and possible, you know? And so I think my goal is still there, but I recognize that I'm like needing to be nimble and, um, and flexible with the, the possibilities that are out there. So certainly I'd love to be in Tokyo and I don't doubt that I can be, but I think We'll just have to see what's going on in the world, you know? I think we saw at um, uh, the London Marathon actually went ahead for the elite, elite races, at least. And it was so exciting um, to see Sarah Hall, you know, uh, do so well and come second. For anyone who doesn't know, she didn't manage to qualify for the Olympic team. She, uh, had to pull out of the race itself. And so to see her do so well in London and she was saying that she just had faith she was training she didn't really know what for there would be a race and then it was London and it was like the race of her life exactly I think that's all we can do right like we can only just be ready for when the opportunities are there and they are popping up so I think I think it I have to take Sarah's advice if if um if I can and and I know her and she I think she'd be okay with me being like I'm gonna have you like a big sister and take that advice you know she's really good we had the chance to train together in Mammoth Lakes and I did like the best longest tempo run of my life with her and it it was truly something that could have only been done with two together you know it was one of those things that would have it would have been it was much better. We were better as a sum of, of two of us than we would have been alone, I think. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, hopefully that's that's a good lesson to learn because I think one of the problems that's going to arise is that these events are going to happen or they need to happen for people to qualify. And so for the Olympics, that is. And so it's going to be a question of flexibility. And that isn't usually the case. It's usually about hitting the target. You know when the race is, you know, that's a given. And I think the skill set is slightly different this time round. I think, to peak at the Olympics is not like the game, right? Like the 1% or the marginal gains, I guess, are in who can adapt quickest or, Yeah, I you know. mean, that's okay. Like that's sport, right? To be, to need to adapt, but it is, this is a, a different kind of adaptation. Um, but I just... You know, I think athletes are resilient and 
And again, going back to that everybody trying their best thing, I think the Olympics, the athletes, everybody's is truly trying their best. So what more can we ask right now, you know? So let's talk about the filmmaking. You've made two films and acted in two films. I wanted to ask you, like, why, though? I mean, being an elite athlete is, well, it's hard. It's intrinsically hard, and so is trying to make movies. It's so cutthroat, that world. I mean, why would you put yourself out there to be scrutinised like that in, a, in a, like, a different way? You know, you could do something, I guess, more stable or more financially rewarding, for example. I mean, it's a high-risk, high-reward business, so it's not, like... There's not, I think there are those peaks and valleys, but maybe like the peaks are higher and the valleys are lower. And some people just choose to stay on a plateau and that's okay. Like, I think it, I think all of this comes down to like, to knowing yourself, right? And I've always known that I'm like a, like I live to work type person, which not everybody is. Like some people like truly like work to, to, they would prefer to stop and and have more boundaries and not bring work home for example because i basically work from home if you think about like you know i i have a gym built in my garage i'm running on the trails near my house and then we're writing on the couch and at my desk but that's just not a lifestyle that everybody wants i think for me it is where i feel like i'm thriving and that word is like you know it means something different for every person and for me that's how I feel like I'm thriving. And uh, in terms of like the competitive nature of it, that actually brings me back to the to the Olympic Village and to um, the previous film we made in Eugene, Oregon, where I was living. You know, I'm trying to tell stories that I uniquely can tell. And I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity to be in the playgrounds that I that I lived like in the Olympic Village and that that's what makes i think a, the most successful movie is if it's told in a world or an emotional reality that's unique to the filmmaker and so it was as you know it was as familiar to me as you know as the back of my hand and so that that was a choice that i made right to tell the story about the world i'm in and it also meant that when i showed that movie to the world the person i was most nervous to see the film you know, you would think it might be like the critics and the film goers. And I really care and I hope that they loved it. And I know that they did. But I also really cared that other Olympians or people in my community felt like it was a good representation of their experience. Because that means that it was a good, like authentic movie. And so I've always been most, con you know, fixated on that at the end is like, does it represent my community? Um, so... I don't know if it answers your question, like, why do something that's really, really hard? I mean, well, what's life? I mean, I don't know. I'm, like, what's the worst that can happen? I'm not, I'm going to be okay, you know? Um, yeah, I think sometimes it's like, I want to get away from external validation, but it's like so hard and it feels so good to be externally validated sometimes. I mean... I guess in terms of like goal setting, what do you think is like trying to win an Oscar or something, not a great goal in your opinion, because like that's not in your control. You know what I mean? Maybe that goal is just fine, 
but maybe most of your steps along the way should be things you can do, right? Like, cause I don't want to, I don't think it's fair to tell people to not chase something they might not get or isn't in their control. That seems perfectly fine. And that, that's, those are, that's, you know, that's an Oscar. That's the Olympics maybe. But then maybe along the way, the healthy thing is to like live a daily life that you can like be doing, right? That seems like within your grasp along that journey. So maybe it's all just tricking yourself into thinking it's in your control and it's not, but uh, it seems sound to me um, in addition to just understanding that you matter because you exist, like you matter no matter what, but maybe people need more tangible things to to chase, you know? Right, I want to end on this question. Um, I'm excited about this one. So, I really like rules and traditions and stuff. So, I was wondering if we could dream up a new tradition or rule in sport or the Olympics. Like, what would yours be? Okay. Um, well, I've always really admired how in um, like in rugby, my understanding, my brother played rugby in college and they always like i mean they had like i think they had like beers after all their competitions but they were like really friendly with the with the competitors afterwards and i felt like one of the most meaningful parts about the rio 10k for me was waiting at the finish line until everybody finished and like that's a little bit easier in a 10k when like i don't know the difference between first and last is like a couple minutes it's not like an hour or like, you know, sometimes that can be quite a bit longer for the marathon. But I do think that it would be really cool if it was tradition to like be there for the finishers after you and that that would be very cool if it was just a little bit less like, I don't know, I feel like when you finish a marathon, you like wander off like a wobbly child looking for your parents and you never see, you don't even know how anyone else did. And I get that you're delirious. You've just put your everything in, but it would be cool if there was a way for everybody to support one another at the end. I think that would be very cool. I Like a guard of honor. Like, yeah. Just like, yeah. It's like, quite Hollywood yeah, as well. Cause there's a respect, like it, it's going to be hard no matter if you get first or last, you know? So I think that would be cool. I actually think it's a good idea because some people drop out of the marathon because they're like, this isn't going to be a PR, so why finish? And it's like, well, let's give them a reason to finish. Because, you know, I actually think this is true that like on the track, there's people watching every moment, you know, there's a finish line, like it's different. And I think if in the marathon, you knew that like your teammates and your peers were going to be there waiting, you would finish the race. So unless you were injured, of course. And so I think it actually would serve a really positive purpose in getting everybody to that finish line too. Amazing. I feel like that's such a nice way to end as well. Thank you so much for your time, Alexi, and being so patient with my my rambliness. So uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. This was wonderful. Olympic Olympic Channel Channel Podcast. A massive thank you to Alexi. Her book is just called Bravey and is out now. Follow her on Instagram. She is Alexi Papas. I am Eddie Knowles with an I and an E. And stay up to date with all the latest stories and videos from across the Olympic world with us on social media too. We are Olympic Channel. 
Right, that's it for now. Stay safe, stronger together, and we'll see you all very soon. Think like an Olympian.